0: Let's get into this this morning Uh, entitled the message rejoice in the Lord and if you just look at verse 1 there look at the first four words it's rejoice in the Lord and so appropriate appropriate title for the message today now we're looking at 22 verses here this morning so I'm not going to read it all the way through but we'll take a section at a time and we'll work our way down through the psalm Uh, it's a psalm that we don't know who the author is Um, we do know though it was a psalm that was uh, written as a call to worship. Uh, the first three verses, there is a call to worship. There's a call to pick, take up instruments and to play them skillfully, to rejoice in the Lord. And it seems the psalm was written most likely after a, uh, a time of victory, probably after a time of military victory that God had given to Israel. And so they gathered together as an assembly, and those that were leading the worship, the choir and the musicians and so forth, the Levites leading that In the first three verses, call the people to worship and to rejoice. And then in verse 4 through 19, we just get a really meaty section here that gives reasons to rejoice in the Lord. Reasons why He is worthy of praise and glory and honor. And as we look at this, we'll get to know our God more. It speaks a lot about the word and creation and so forth and these are things that we want before us these are things we want to have in our heart listen the enemy works hard in our flesh and the world to get our eyes off of him and when our eyes are off of him it doesn't instill in us and stir up a worshipful heart but when we look to him and when we look at things with a biblical perspective and remember who our God is and who we are in Him and His promises and so forth. Listen, that brings forth praise and worship. And really, ultimately, that's what we were created to do, to worship our God. And then in verse 20 through 22, we'll see a closing word of assurance found for those that hope in the Lord and have their faith in the Lord as the psalm comes to a conclusion. So let's start here by reading the first three verses and spending a little time in them, and then again, we'll work our way down through the psalms. So it says here in verse 1 through 3, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with a harp. Make melody to Him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. And so right off the bat, the call to rejoice in the Lord. The word rejoice here, it means to shout for joy, to sing aloud, uh, to triumph. So it's the picture of victory and, you know what, that, that expression of joy and the victory that has come forth. And you don't have to look very far to see uh, people rejoicing in all sorts of things. And no doubt us in this room, we rejoice or have rejoiced in things before, even to the point of shouts of joy and, you know what, fist raise and chest bumps and high fives and so forth. I know just past Tuesday, it was the 4th of July, and we were uh, blessed to go down to Oceano for a couple days, and uh, boy, you talk about a, a, a display of fireworks. You're like, I didn't know the city of Oceano uh, does that. They don't. The citizens do. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, the citizens do, and, and the sheriffs are nowhere to be found, and there's a spectacular display. I mean, it was very, very impressive, better than a lot of city fireworks things, and it's not a 20-minute thing. It just goes on and on and on, and in the midst of that, I couldn't help but to hear, Ooh, oh, ah, oh, wow, and the group I was with, they had a trunk load of fireworks as well, and someone gave more fireworks, and after about an hour the shouts of joy kind of started tailing off as people, it was yawns, shouts of yawns. I got to get up and go to work tomorrow and whatnot. But those shouts of joy and if, you're, if you've ever watched athletics or if you follow a sports team or play, boy, there's all kinds of shouts of joy, right? I mean, probably on most Sundays in America, in the fall, there's more shouts of joy for touchdowns and strip balls that produce fumbles and so forth, unfortunately, and then shouts of joy to the Lord. And listen, all, all those things can be fine and good and have their place, but those things are going to pass away. And as followers of the Lord, we have a higher call to rejoice in the Lord, to rejoice in the victory that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, because listen, it's not a temporary one, it's an eternal one. And leave a look at the context here, rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. And the fact that this is being written to those that are righteous, uh, again, for praise from the upright is beautiful. It's being written to those that are righteous and upright and to call them to them to rejoice in the Lord. And it's really the first reason we see here to rejoice in the Lord because in and of ourselves, we are not righteous. We talk about this all all the time. Righteousness means right standing with God. And to be in right standing with God, you need to be seen as sinless. God standards perfection. He doesn't fellowship with sin and rebellion and so forth. And in and of ourselves, the Scriptures declare that our righteousness, it's as filthy rags. Just read the Scripture once again, Isaiah forty or 64, uh, 6. It says, because we are all, notice all of us, like an unclean thing. And our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquity like the wind, and notice, have taken us away. And when Adam sinned in the garden, he severed that relationship between man created in his image and likeness and God who is holy. He said, I want to be my own God. Spiritual death set in. There was a separation between man now and God and, you know what, a, a, a gap between the two. Man was subjected to, again, a curse on the earth and was put under God's judgment. And we were born, the, David says, I was conceived in sinned. Born a sinner, we see in the Scripture, born with the sin nature. And all we got to do is look at the law of God and see that our righteousness is filthy rags. Again, God's standard is perfection. And we all grossly fall short of that. And in of that, we have no hope in of ourselves. But again, our righteousness is found through who? Through Jesus Christ, who came to this world was tempted in every way, not only didn't do what he wasn't supposed to do, but at every turn did what God the Father would have him to do, lived that sinless life, again, went to the cross of Calvary, took the wrath to us to redeem us, to purchase us out of the bondage of sin, was buried in the grave, and three days later, he rose from the grave and defeated our enemies, He made a public spectacle of powers and principalities. He defeated Satan and sin and death and hell. He rose from the grave. And then notice Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Is that not reason to rejoice in the Lord? We have victory We have victory through Jesus and what he has done. Listen, that's better than any firework. That's better than any touchdown. That's better than any home run. Whatever it is, it's better than all of those things. It's better than even that last payment on your mortgage, and it's all paid off now. And You're like, that will never happen. Maybe so, but it's even better than that. He rose from the grave. Rejoice in the Lord. Oh, you righteous. Keep that before you at all turns, at all time. Our time here is very short. The scripture says man at his his best is a ham breath. But to know that you know that you're in right standing with God through Jesus and you've put your faith and trust in him, reason to rejoice. And listen, if you don't know him today, if he's not your Lord and Savior, there's a call in the scripture unto salvation, a call to repent, a call to acknowledge your sin. And a, a call to, again, turn from what your Lord is to say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to govern my life. I want you to be my God. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave, and the Lord will meet you where you're at. The Scripture says, whoever, and I love it. There's no partiality with God, no prejudice with our Lord. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He also, again, says here, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Beautiful. And again, it is beautiful when the people of God praise and give glory to Him, when they have a thankful heart. It shows us a real understanding of who God is and what He's done for them. It's a picture of walking worthy of the call of Christ. Ephesians 4.1, Paul, who was in prison, he said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And when we are not rejoicing in the Lord, when we don't have a worshipful heart, That's not walking worthy of the call of Christ, is it? That's a picture of a heart that is ungrateful, a heart that is un, you know what, thankful that doesn't have gratitude. It's an ugly thing when, listen, favor and and, uh, gifts uh, are bestowed on somebody and they're not thankful for it. They're not grateful for it, especially when they don't, deserve that. That's an ugly thing, is it not? An ungrateful heart. Romans 1 speaks about again a, a people that aren't thankful, that aren't grateful. They don't glorify God and then soon they turn from him to worship the creation instead of the creator and they're given over to a delusional mindset and just it's just downhill from there. I'm a believer, one that is righteous in Jesus Christ doesn't have a heart of praise and worship, it shows that that's a heart that's being more influenced by the world than by the word of God. Let that not be us. Amen? Amen. And so we need to keep these truths before us. A biblical perspective. You can say a Jesus perspective. Looking at things, filtering it through, again, the work of the cross and who we are in the Lord, and also the fact that all those around us need the Lord and Listen, part of our witness being effective, it's not just accurate doctrine and preaching of the scriptures, but we're called to be ambassadors, to be salt and light, to have the joy of the Lord, and the joy of the Lord is our strength. And again, we're not just told to rejoice in the Lord, but we're given reasons why we should rejoice in the Lord. And listen, the fact that we have right standing with Him through faith in Him, I cannot think of a greater reason to rejoice in the Lord, to know that we know He loves us like that, The death couldn't hold him, and we got victory in the Lord. Reason to rejoice. That should be a pick-me-up this morning. Notice two and three. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. Interesting in Scripture, the harp was invented by the sons of Cain. The sons of Cain were rebellious. Cain and his sons were idolaters. They moved into sin. They're the ones that set the tone for the flood and uh, the rebellion that came upon the earth. And though it was invented by them, God said, take it and use it to worship him. I like to bring this up. He says, make a melody, which means a harmony, a rhythm. Because I run into people at times that, you know what, they want to say there are certain instruments that shouldn't be used to worship the Lord because where those instruments had their origin, they they say, well, you can't use a drum to worship the Lord because those things came from, you know, it, where pagans worship demons and so forth, you know, and these different indigenous people and so forth. Well, we'll time out. Can we use the harp? Yes. Well, the sons of Cain came up with the harp. So should we really be using the harp to worship the Lord since the sons of Cain? Remember Cain, he killed his brother. Scripture says don't go in the way of Cain in the book of Jude, New Testament reference and so forth. So then do we need to ban the harp as well? Well, not, not the harp. They'll come back with, but a drum, absolutely. Yet the scripture says to make melody, a harmony, a, a, a rhythm. And oftentimes a rhythm is kept with a drum, with a tremble, with a tambourine, and so forth. The point of this is, listen, these things were created, or even the Lord allowed those things to be brought forth ultimately to worship him. And a keyboard or a, a drum or a guitar or whatever, in of itself, it's just a thing. It's what you do with that. And you can take any instrument and sanctify it by using it to worship the Lord, or you can desecrate it by using it to bring glory to yourself or to worship something other than God. But we see in the scripture a call to take these things, these instruments and so forth, and make a melody to him. The Bible even speaks about prophesying with instruments, and a prophecy would be a declaration of the person of God. Notice Psalm one fifty three through six. It says, "Praise him with the sound of the trumpet, praise him with the loop and loop, loop, not the loop, the lute and harp, praise him with the tremble, which is a hand drum and dance, praise him with string instruments and flutes, praise him with loud cymbals, praise him with the clashing of cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord." Now, I also know there's some people that say, well, that's Old Testament and the New Testament. We, you know, because Jesus, before he was crucified, they went out and they sung a hymn. And that's the only reference. So, you know, we're not to use those instruments. Listen, if that's your conviction, that's fine. But don't heap that on anyone else. Because, listen, God didn't shut down instruments after Jesus rose from the grave. Isn't that all the more reason to celebrate? I mean, that's the fulfillment of the righteousness. When Jesus rose from the grave, that's when it was fulfilled. So let's take these things and use them to worship the Lord. Again, verse 3, sing to Him a new song. And a new song comes when again our eyes are upon Him. It doesn't come from new revelation outside of Scripture, but absolutely it comes from a growing understanding of what has already been revealed. You can study the Word of God your whole life, and you'll find you've just scratched the surface. The more you go forward in Him, the more you walk with Him, the more there's going to be an understanding of what already has been revealed the more you're gonna see the growth that God's gonna bring and fruit and maturity and God's mercy and grace, that new song. And every day God wants to put a new song and as we get our eyes upon him, those new songs will absolutely be birthed. And one other note here, he says, to play these things skillfully with a shout of joy. Again, this is a call to worship in the assembly of the brother. So the picture here oftentimes would be uh, the Levites and others that were in the choir and played instruments, kind of like us this morning. They would go in front of the people, it would be a call to worship, and then they would lead. A lot of times it would even be responsive. They would say something, there would be a response back according to the Psalms and the Scripture. And he says these that are leading, listen, he says they need to play skillfully. It means to play with precision. It means to play well. It's really hard to worship if someone is Not playing well. It's hard to worship if the person that is leading is singing off-tune. If they're singing in a note that no one else can sing it, it makes it difficult. This is real practical here. Sometimes people don't like to hear this because they say it's more important the person's heart. And absolutely, I agree with that. But at the same time... If I'm up here teaching, and all of a sudden I start teaching in a foreign language, that's going to make it hard for you to understand, right? I mean, I'm barely mastering English. I'm working on that. And sometimes you're like, what are you talking about? You know, I don't understand these words that you're using. And it's the same with this. Even in Corinthians, when it talks about tongues and interpretation of tongues, it it, it talks about, you know what, if there's a tongue without interpretation, it's like the trumpet being sound to go to battle, but if it's not in the right tune, no one's going to know. It's a distracting thing. Now, again, this isn't saying that, you know what, well, i got to play perfectly to be able to worship the Lord, or i got to sing perfectly. No, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. It's saying, though, if that's the case, you probably need to either practice that a lot more or be in a place where there's an understanding with those that you're worshiping with that, hey, I'm learning, let's worship the Lord together. And I I just got to put this out there because sometimes there's just people that can't play well or sing well, but they want to lead. And one of the ways you know you have a gift is that you're gifted in doing that. And it's just the truth of the matter. Now, again, all the praise needs to go to the Lord, whether it's someone out of tune or in tune or playing skillfully or just learning or whatever it is. It all needs to be done unto the Lord. And this is the other side of this because for some reason certain many artists, and it seems like especially musicians, they take up those instruments, and they want some of the praise for themselves. And it's not always just in the secular setting of times today. It's even in the church setting because in so many places, worship has become more of a show. People come in for a show, and you know the The, the strobe lights come on and the smoke, and then the guy with the electric guitar comes out, and he you know, does one of these and so forth, and everyone, ah! Listen, I don't know anyone's heart. Maybe there's a place for that in a Christian concert. I, I, I don't know. Um, again, a lot of you guys know. For years, I did was part of Christian music as a kind of a, a pioneer, sort of speak, to a degree with Christian rap music, and saw many people come to the Lord through that. But I also saw a lot of ugliness. Again, not knowing anyone's heart. But I, re- I remember doing concerts with Tooth and Nail bands. If you're familiar with that record label, and one in particular like four or five of these bands, and not one of them, he wanted to pray before the concert. Not one of them talked about Jesus. Remember one concert in particular, probably two, three hundred kids, and not one of these guys talked about the Lord, and I was just getting a fire brewing in me, man. <laughs> Serious. Just a fire brewing. I got up there and did a couple songs, and then just brought the gospel. You know what was awesome? There were about three hundred kids in the room, and every single one of them stood up afterwards and clapped as kids came forward. Boy, it's so much better when you give praise to the Lord, when you give honor to the Lord, give glory to the Lord. It needs to be about Him. Those instruments being played skillfully in tune, it should be pointing us toward Jesus Christ. And if it's pointing people to the men, that's the flesh. And the flesh is an edify. Again, the more skillfully you can play, the more better you can sing. All the more glory should go to God. Because a lot of people can't do that. That's a gift from the Lord. So give God the glory and let's crucify the flesh. Now notice, starting in verse 4, we get these reasons, more reasons why we should rejoice in him. 4 and 5, it says, for the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Isn't it awesome to know that God's word is right? The word here for right, it means it's straight. It's not crooked. It's not perverse. Psalm 12, 6, the words of the Lord are pure words like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. And then Psalm 119, therefore all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right, I hate every false way. The longer I walk with the Lord, been teaching God's word for 25 years, studying it, you know, a long time. Um, the more I study it, listen, all it does is grow my confidence in it. As you see God's prophetic word being fulfilled in this world we're living in. As you have historical and archaeological finds that line up with the word of God. As you see books like Proverbs played out, Proverbs given, played out in your own life and in the lives of a culture and other individuals without again judging the heart, but seeing situations and people either walking in those Proverbs or shunning them. And you see the truth coming to fruition as declared. In those Proverbs, as we see the work of God in our life and the Holy Spirit working and so forth, his word is right, and that's reason to rejoice, that if we can open up God's word and know that it's put forth in accuracy 100% and in truth. In fact, he says all his work is done in truth. Everything he does is done in truth. And notice, the talks about the word and then truth, and the work of the Lord and the word of the Lord, and we need to know this morning that everything God does is gonna be in line with the word because it's right. Hear this, don't ever attribute doctrine or action to God that contradicts the word of God. If it's outside of the box of scripture, we're not to be led by it. Some people say, well, don't put God in a box. In a way, God put himself in a box in the scriptures. It's not that he's not capable of doing anything. He can, but he gave us the word, and he said, the word is right, and you'll know it's me because what I do is done in truth, truth according to what? The word of God. Does that not make sense? And why would we want to get out of those boundaries? Unless we're trying to seek after something that is not of him because of a draw in our flesh or whatever it would be. We want to walk in, again, The word of life, the word of truth. Again, he loves righteousness and justice. And this is something worthy of rejoicing in. Have you ever stepped back and thought, what if God was a liar? What if God was perverse? What if God was like, you know what, the eight-year-old boy who got a magnifying glass and he's, you know what, lighting up ants on a 105-degree day, you know? What if he was like that? Some people want to put put that characteristic on him, right? People that don't know him. If God was loving, why would all these things be in the world? Well, go read Genesis, because man sinned, that's why. And yet he sent his son to die for us, despite us. He loves righteousness and justice. And again, the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. I mean, the rain that he brings, the provision that he brings. Uh, you, You think of things like our five senses, to be able to enjoy a good meal. Is that not good? Just as provision for us, a baby when it's born. Driving to church this morning, seeing a, 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 a deer and the fawn and, you know, what God providing for him. Now oh, the psalmist, the deer panteth for the water, so my soul pants for you. It's full of it. All we've got to do is look around and see the fingerprints of God. And it's reason to rejoice when you look up and see the sky and the stars and the moon and so forth that God created. In fact, it's a witness that there is a creator. Verse six and seven, it says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let's go down to verse nine. Let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. So by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. He spoke and it came forth, and then notice verse 9, he spoke and it was done, he commanded and it stood fast. He spoke and it was done. Again, we read Genesis 1, 3, then God said, let there be light and there was light. He spoke and it was done. Notice it doesn't say the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, he spoke and billions and billions of years passed and then we got something. Doesn't say that, does it? He spoke, and it was done. The Bible speaks about a new heaven and a new earth that's coming. And as I read the scripture, it doesn't say that new heaven and new earth will come after God speaks and billions and billions of years pass, and then bam, then it will finally get here. There's not a shred of evidence for evolution. Not a shred. It goes against everything that's truthful logic. Life can only come from life. That's scientific. They're continually digging and looking, and yet they've never found the monkey turning into a man. They'll find a tooth and say, oh, we found it. Then later on, we have actually came from a pig. We don't want to tell anyone that now. That information in the DNA can't just magically appear. In fact, a... a a, a defect which they say evolves things actually is when there is a lack of information. So the, the thing they're saying that is making things get better is actually taking away information from that DNA. And then think about this. He spoke and it stood because it has to. If things don't have maturity, they can't function properly. And I can't develop. It has to be created or it doesn't work. And there's all these moving parts that have to work at once. Otherwise, you have something coming forth that is going to get eaten up in the survival of the fittest. Because what is being formed there through the theory of evolution is actually going to be a setback until it's fully mature. And then you have to have a male and female at the same time fully mature, being able to have offspring and so forth. It's ludicrous. He spoke and it happened. And there was maturity, and without that maturity, it cannot function, it falls flat on its face. And yet these men, professing to be wise, who are fools, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, come up with all these big words, pretending to be smart and so forth, and they're foolish individuals that are driven by one thing, to deny God because the Holy Spirit convicts them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And they know in their hearts they're going to have to stand before Him one day and give an account for their life. And instead of humbling their hearts, they puff up their chest and they come up with utter nonsense. And that's what it is. It is utter nonsense. And don't take God's word and pervert it by taking men's nonsense and trying to bring it into God's word. Well, he created it, but he used evolution. No, he didn't. His word is right. He spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. He didn't need a bunch of do-overs. He spoke, and it came forth. The host of them, by the breath of his mouth, speaks of the stars. It speaks of angels. Again, he gathers the water of the sea together as a heap. He controls all of the weather. Yes, even the... Someone told me it was 114 at their house yesterday. God allowed it for a reason. Notice here, He lays up the deep in storehouses. This is awesome. You know, our God has storehouses, He has unlimited resources, He's never out of stock. He provides for us what we need when it's needed. So again, in light of all of this, we read verse 8. Again, he created these things. He spoke. It was done. He commanded. It stood fast. So verse 8, it says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Is that not reason to fear him, to have a reverence of him? Because he spoke and it happened? And yet how many people shun him and have no reverence towards him? And yet they'll give reverence to some individual that's in rebellion against God that is weak and frail and can't speak and bring forth anything. Let everyone stand in awe. Listen, if someone came in to do some project at your house, and, you know, I'm an expert in this, and they came in, you, you needed a new roof, and they never had to get up on that roof. They just spoke, and all of a sudden there was a new roof there. You'd be in awe, wouldn't you? You'd probably be kind of freaked out as well. <laughs> While well, back on YouTube, I, I, I saw a video of a guy who painted a room with brushes and rollers in eight minutes. I was in awe of that. I'm like, dang, this guy is just getting down. I mean, eight minutes that room was painted. I wasted eight minutes of my life watching it, but listen, God spoke and it all happened. This is reason to rejoice to be in awe of him. Notice next, 10 down through 12, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart are to all, to all, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. You look around our world and you see so many nations and people groups and so forth plotting against the Lord. Psalm 2 talks about this, these people plotting nations, plotting vain things, and yet it says God sits in the heavens and he laughs. He laughs because these plans will come to nothing. God prophesied about these types of plans. God is allowing it in his plan of bringing the end to this dispensation and bringing in the next dispensation, which is a period of time where Jesus Christ will rule for a thousand years here on earth. And he's going to bring it to nothing. And so as we hear these plans and so forth, he is not calling us to knock our knees together in fear but to trust in the lord it's going to come to nothing and it's interesting as well because the plans of the nation the root of it is a rebellion against god I, I i'm just intrigued by the fact that groups that are so opposed to each other when you actually get into their doctrine will partner together to come against christianity because there's a spirit of antichrist that even wants to cleanse our culture of the word of god and christianity and Fundamental truth and so forth. Don't you find it peculiar that Islam, where there's 50 some countries where homosexuality is banned and in many of those countries if you're a homosexual, they'll take you out and kill you. No questions. They'll just kill you. And yet you see them locking arms with the gay mafia. We'll just call it what it is. This isn't to say that God doesn't love homosexuals or Muslims. He absolutely does. He died on the cross to make a way for them to have salvation. If they repent, call sin, sin, and put their faith in Jesus, just like the rest of us in this room. But why are they coming together? What, what would bring these two groups together? Because they plot against the Lord. This is why Pilate and Herod became Best buddies. Before they didn't like each other, but they both had a hand in the crucifixion of Jesus. Though no one took his life, he laid it down himself. And he's bringing these plans to nothing, and we need to remember that because how many times do we lose our joy because we see these plans and we've sold and we start kicking rocks and so forth? Wait a minute, the plans are going to come to nothing. In fact, we open God's word and God's word is sure and true because he said these things would happen the way that they would exactly how they are. It's reason to rejoice. And it's reason to pray for these individuals because they desperately need God. Again, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations, God's word is for us today. God's word is the most relevant up-to-date book that you are going to find. Again, it's spelling out the things of the day with precise precision, and we are utter fools to let it collect dust or to leave it in our car all week and get it out for the next service. And yet there's always attacks on the Scriptures. Sadly, it's not always just from those outside forces, but within Christian. I mean, this is prophetic as well. There are forces moving to come against the Word of God. came across this this week. I want to read it. There's a man named Andy Stanley. He's probably one of the most influential pastors, definitely in in the West, if not in the world. His father's Charles Stanley. Maybe you've heard of him. And I think for the most part over the years, I've heard Charles Stanley many times, and he seems very uh, doctrinally sound and fundamental and so forth. Uh, Not so much with this boy who is so influential, even influential churches in our own community where they say, I want to be an Andy Stanley man. This is the guy we're trying to model our church after his ministry and his church because he's got a super mega church and a lot of people go there and we want that, so let's model our church after him and what he does. Listen to a couple of these quotes. Andy Stanley, quote, we went off to college and discovered even though the Bible was sacred, it wasn't scientific. Even though it was something to be appreciated, It wasn't necessarily something that was factual. Even though there were stories in here that were inspirational, they weren't necessarily true. Charles, please take out your son and discipline him. What's wrong with this kid? Listen to another one. This was from an Easter message not long ago. If you said to me one on one, Andy, I'm not a Christian, I'm not a Jesus follower but I'm going to let you take your best shot at convincing me to follow Jesus. He goes on to say, here's what I wouldn't do. I wouldn't try to convince you using the Bible. There needs to be a revolt in this guy's church. Please, if I ever say anything like this, ban me from the building. Find a warehouse somewhere, tie me up, and you know what? Cut out my tongue. I'm dead serious about it, horrific. The word of the Lord stands forever, it is for all generations, and people get saved through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the scriptures. Again, the plans of his heart to all generations. When people hear the heart of God, the fact we're sinners and yet he died for us, that's what brings people to salvation. Again, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he has chosen has his own inheritance. And as this was being sung, Israel was in a place where they were in fellowship with the Lord. And they're rejoicing in that. Now we know when Christ came, listen, only a remnant believed. And yet God again in these last days has brought Israel together. And we know that the time will come soon when all Israel will be saved. And this will be sung once again. We look at our own nation. There's many people who say, well, this is a Christian nation, or it was a Christian nation. You know, you really get into it, and yes, it was a nation found by some Christians and some non-Christians, and God's word was very influential. It was never declared a Christian nation. There's a reference to God, but it's even said more in a pantheistic type statement. This is the truth of the matter. I'm absolutely not saying this to come against our nation, I love our nation, and I pray for it. I pray for our president, the president before him, and so forth. We've got many liberties and so forth. But recently, I read you, you know, statistics from evangelical Christians that were so unbiblical, it made your head spin. We need to pray for our nation. I want our nation to be blessed. And listen, it's going to be blessed when there's repentance and it turning towards the Lord. You know it's fascinating the, the, the nation of Samoa, I think it was 1839, the first missionary went to Samoa, and guess what happened to him? You think a revival broke out? He was eaten. They said foods arrived, and they killed him and they ate him. In June of this year, just read this, in early June, the Samoan parliament passed a bill amending the Constitution to transform the country from a secular to a Christian state. The the objective of the amendment was to, quote, to insert the Constitution that Samoa is a Christian nation to declare the dominance of Christianity in Samoa. Of the Parliament's 49 representatives, 43 voted in favor of the bill. Article 1 will now read, Samoa is a Christian nation founded of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit a specifically Christian concept of God with no room for interpretation by any other religious group or by the government or by judges. Where can I get my ticket? How do I become a citizen? We're here for a time such as this. Because that didn't just happen. It happened when missionaries went where Christians and outsiders were being eaten. And so it's all the more in this nation, listen, we're not called to run, we're called to occupy till he comes and to pray for our nation because there were people praying for that nation and boy, what a turn of events. Verse 13 through 15, pick up the pace here. The Lord looks from heaven and he sees all the sons of men from the place of his dwelling. He looks on the inhabitants of the earth he fashions their hearts individually and considers all their works. So he looks from heaven. He sees all sons of men. Uh, again, he sees all. He knows all. He'll judge all. It's reason to praise him from his dwelling place. Isaiah 66, 1, the Lord says, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. And listen, we're just inhabitants here. Let's remember that. We're born with nothing. We leave with nothing. Everything we have here on lo- is on loan, whether it's stuff or time or gifts or talents We need to use those for his glory. Notice here he fashions their hearts individually. He's so awesome. He spoke and it all happened. The the grandness of all that we see and yet each person he fashioned them individually. We're all unique in this room. Look out. No one looks alike. There's no snowflakes that are alike. No fingerprints that are alike. What an awesome God we have. And also, again, he considers our works, and we need to remember that. That's reason to worship him and praise him. You know, we're not going to, you know, just kind of get over here and skate through. not see what I'm doing. I'm doing my own thing here. No, we need to bow and worship our God and rejoice in him. Now, notice next, again, he speaks to the nations. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great power. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His mercy to deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. And again, most likely this was written after victory over a king that put his faith in his army. The mighty men in that army put their faith in their strength. And they put their faith in the horses that they rode out, the chariots and so forth. Remember God told the kings of Israel they weren't to stockpile horses and chariots. In fact, there were times when David had victory, and he went and he hamstrung the horses of the nation that they had defeated. You're like, who in their right mind would do that? That's an arsenal. It was done because they didn't want the temptation to trust in that. They said, God gave us a victory. Let's trust in the Lord, not in this stuff. Listen, salvation and deliverance talks about this here. It's not found through kings, men's strength horses or whatever things that are strong it only comes through Jesus Christ that's the only way that we can stand and I know there's people that mock Christianity and Christians and they say oh yeah you need that crutch you need the crutch of Jesus Christ and so forth and let me tell you without the Lord we are nothing but weak frail individuals that are nothing but dust and you can either embrace the crutch of the cross of Calvary and live or you will be separated from him in a place called hell forever And it is a call to humble our hearts and to put our trust in him. I would rather be walking around under the crutch of Jesus Christ than spiritually dead, separated from him forever. Yes, my strength comes from my God and I give him the praise and I rejoice in that. And again, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. Again, he makes us, he has his eye on us. Those who hope in his mercy, notice, to deliver their soul from death, we have an eternal promise. We're going to die, but our soul will be delivered from that second death through him. And then kept from famine, as we think of famine, I think of spiritual famine. The spiritual famine we're in, we're kept, though, in him. And now he closes out the psalm. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him, because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord... Be upon us just as we hope in you. So it's a call. Listen, with all this said, don't raise the head of the Lord. They've seen the victory that came from the hand of the Lord. And so it's a call. Don't be impatient. Remember who God is. Wait for him. He'll help you. who will be your shield in his perfect timing. If you wait on him, you won't regret it. Listen to Psalm 37, 9 through 11. That evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Yet for a little while, the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Again, 21, for our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. And this is awesome. It's reason to rejoice because we have trusted in him and he is trustworthy. (laughs) Have you ever put your trust in something that later on you found out it wasn't trustworthy? You trusted in a dud? Listen, did you find yourself rejoicing on that? Celebrating that? Oh, I put all my eggs in this basket and now my eggs are being returned to me, cracked. Or you're like, I don't even know what happened to my eggs. That's not the basis for rejoicing. Oftentimes, it's the basis for a lawsuit, which isn't joyful at all. But we should rejoice because he's trustworthy. His name's holy. It means it's set apart. It's, it's not like, you know, the name of man or whatever institution that even in its own effort, if it tries, it never can live up totally to the expectations. That's only found in him. He's trustworthy, and he's given us the guarantee that he's trustworthy. The Holy Spirit of God, Ephesians 1.13, in him you also trusted Notice here, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Can someone email this to uh, Andy Stanley? Uh, After you heard the word of truth, you trusted. Uh, But I won't use the Bible. That's blasphemy. In whom also having believed, notice here, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession of the praise of his glory. We got the guarantee that he's trustworthy through the sealing of the Spirit of God. And then finally he says, let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. And there's a marvelous truth here. Listen, the more you trust in the Lord, the more you hope in the Lord, the more you look to the Lord, the more his mercy and grace will be heaped upon you. This is why it's an error to be growing in self-righteousness. To be growing in self-piety or to be growing in you know, at a place where well, I've arrived and I, I barely need the blood of Jesus now because I'm so spiritual and so forth. That's a delusional walk if that's where you're at. You're, 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 you're being fooled by a, a, a spirit of, of religion, so to speak. Not that religion in its right context is bad. It's good, but in the sense of, again, self-imposed religion, we'll call it, or a false humility. Talk about this often, Paul, because it's just a great thing for us to learn from. He starts by saying, I'm the least of the apostles, right? And then later on, he says, I'm the least of the saints. And then finally, in one of his last letters, he says, I'm the chief of sinners. And all the while, Paul was abounding and growing in the Lord, maturing and so forth. Yet the more he grew in the Lord, the more he realized he needed God's help. The more he realized, I need to trust in the Lord, And the more he trusts the Lord, the more God's mercy and grace was heaped upon him. I want more grace and mercy in my life, don't you? That comes as we grow in our understanding of how much we need him. And the fact that he supplies every breath and heartbeat and any skills and any ability to praise and get up in the morning or whatever else. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. And again, the more we hope, the more we trust the more we put our faith in Him, the more we are dependent upon that crutch of the cross, so to speak. The more that mercy and grace is heaped upon our souls. And I want to bound it because, listen, I tasted and I've seen, and He is good, is He not? Let's stand up and close in prayer. One last worship song that we want to rejoice in Him, Amen. And uh, as Instruments are played skillfully and notes are sung and so forth. Let's lift our voices to him and rejoicing. Heavenly Father, again, we praise you this morning and we thank you for this word. Oh, Lord, we thank you, God, that you're worthy of praise and celebration. And, God, you're worthy of shouts of joy. I hope and pray, God, that we would absolutely take these things to heart God, that you would grow us as a people when it comes to that call to worship you, God. And absolutely, God, we could walk with a biblical mindset because we're in a world that desperately needs you, God. These nations plotting against you, you died for them and you love them. And Lord, you've called us to be a witness to them. So help us in that, God, and we need your help in that. We need your grace and mercy, absolutely. Listen, as we close in prayer, talked about the gospel today, the good news of Jesus Christ, the the fact that the Lord's come to make that way of salvation. Maybe in the course of this message you have humbled your heart and you've called on Him. Praise God. And if you haven't, the Bible says whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen, there's no partiality with God. There's no prejudice, prejudice. God doesn't look at things the way fallen man does. He fashioned each one of us and then Even in our rebellion, sent his son to die for us, to save us. And this morning, he's calling you to come to him, to call on the name of the Lord. The Bible says Jesus went forth preaching repentance and the gospel, the kingdom of heaven. And if you haven't called on Jesus, it's time to repent and put your faith in him today. And what that means is you're... you're, willfully saying, I'm turning from what I call Lord and from what I serve, which is our own belly, our own way, doing as we want, do as thou will, to say, I want to put my faith in Jesus to be my Lord, to govern my life, to be my God. I believe He died on the cross and rose from the grave, and I want salvation, and I, I want Him to be my Lord. We're not saved through what we do, but through putting our faith in what He has done, Call on him today. Respond to him today. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the acceptable time. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Listen, we're going to close in worship of the Lord. And after that, (coughs) as we finish up our time here, the altar is going to be open. If you need prayer, come forward and get that. There will be folks that would like to pray with you. This morning, if you called on him or you're calling on him, come up. There's people that would love to pray with you, to encourage you in your new walk with the Lord, to put a Bible in your hands, just to, you know what, to to minister to you, and uh, again to 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 just edify you, and build you up in Christ, and let's do that for one another. So we thank you and praise you, and just pray these things in your name, Lord. Let's let's worship our God.
1: i with you. And my soul sings out As your word grows down Far away I sing to you
0: Lord Jesus Christ, and listen, use your gifts to minister to someone before you leave today. God bless you.